the anatomy of defensive reactivity. Now, defensive reactivity, this refers to the sensitivity or responsiveness of the brain's defense system. Now, this happens when our amygdala, which is our emergency crisis response center, is triggered by situations that we perceive as threatening and that danger could be before us, even if we're even unaware of it. Now, it's, it's, it's instinctual. It's not really intentional. And our reaction is instant. A perceived threat increases our cortisol levels. It notifies the body of danger. The heart and the me metabolic rates go up. And the individuals, like us, become more alert. Now, George Gerber came up with the idea of cultivation theory. Now, he argued in cultivation theory that the television, media, demonstrate how our society works by dramatizing its norms and values. And also, he argues that the fact is that there is a lot of violence, and it's massively overrepresented on the television in that environment as compared to the occurrences of it in the real world. For example, after that, you have heavy viewing on television will lead to an increased overestimization of the level of violence within society and an increased fear of becoming a victim of violence. The theory also hypothesizes that heavy television viewing will lead to increased interpersonal mistrust and perception that the world is a mean and dangerous place, a condition dubbed the mean world syndrome. So we get defensive and we react and we're constantly being exposed to media that overdramatizes violence, negativity. And as a result, we begin to view the world as mean. But then when, when this happens, when someone knocks on your door or somebody rings your bell, somebody could be knocking on the door and somebody could be ringing the bell, what is going to be our reaction? Well, today we're going to say, do us a favor. Open the door and let them in. Welcome to the Stephen Thompson Experience. My name is Stephen Thompson, and this is my experience. I seek to inform with care and compassion and speak for those who can't speak for themselves. I use history to uncover inspirational heroes from the past and music to motivate us to think and inspire us to act from the best versions of ourselves. Let Them In is a song written by Paul McCartney. And... It was recorded by his band after the Beatles, Wings, in 1996 on their album, Wings and the Speed of Sound. It reached number three in the UK and the United States and Canada. And the song was number one on the charts as well. It was certified gold by the Recording Industry Association of America for sales of over one million copies. And you know what? You can also find it on. Paul McCartney's 1987 album, All the Best. Now, the song starts with the sound of a vibraphone chiming the first eight notes from the Westminster Chorus. And the lyrics name checks several famous people 
who have been friends or relatives of McCartney and without justified reason knock on his door or rings the bell of his house. So here the, some of the famous people are his paternal aunt Jen, his brother Michael, and then he talks about Linda McCartney's brother, John. Phil and Don Everly, known as the Everly Brothers, are also named along with Martin Luther. Then there's an Uncle Ernie, who's also named. And this is a character that Ringo Starr sang about in the London Symphony Orchestra's recording of the Who's Rock Opera. Now let them in. The concept of people coming to visit you and your response to those people is a little bit what I want to settle into. So Paul talks about Sister Susie and Brother John and Martin Luther and Phil and Don and Brother Michael and Auntie Jen. Open the door and let them in. Letting in new people into places where they previously were not welcome. One of those individuals Hiram, was named Hiram Revels, and he was born a free man in Fayetteville, North Carolina in September of 1827. He was the son of a Baptist preacher. When he was a child, he took lessons at a private school run by African-American women and eventually traveled north to further his education. He went to seminary in Indiana and Ohio and became a minister of the African Methodist Episcopal Church in 1845. And he eventually studied theology in Knox College in Illinois. Now, this was during the 1850s. And Revels had the luxury of being a free person. And he preached to free and enslaved men and women in a lot of states. But he also assisted fugitive slaves. Now, in February of 1870, Hiram Revels became a senator in the United States Senate. He was a Republican from Mississippi, and he went in to take his oath of office. Now, the people who were there knew that they were witnessing an event of great historical significance. You see, Revels was going to become the very first African-American to be in the United States Congress. On February 3rd, the 15th Amendment to the Constitution was ratified, and it stopped states from disenfranchising voters on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. So Revelis, Revels was the 15th Amendment embodied as he became a senator representing the state of Mississippi. And in his time in office, Revels made good use of that time. He championed education for African Americans. He spoke out against racial segregation and fought efforts to undermine civil and political rights of African Americans. And when he left the Senate, he went back to Mississippi and he later became the president of Elkhorn College. So he had to be let in. He had to be let into a place that did not necessarily 
want him, but he had to be let in. And when he was let in, it was shown to be that he was worthy of being there. And the contributions he made were very significant. So how do we get in a position where we can let more people in, where we can invite more people in? Well, here is an example, asking questions and listening. The Bible says in the book of James, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Anger. You can't accomplish as much as you want if you're solely running on anger. So letting somebody in, involving someone, you can go a lot further if you begin to ask questions. And here's several types of questions that you can ask. Clarifying questions help us to understand what is being said. After you ask somebody a clarifying question, you can ask someone an adjoining question. And an adjoining question is used to explore aspects of the problem that may be ignored in the conversation. So an example of this would be, how would this concept apply in a different context? Or what is the related uses of this? A funneling question, it can be used to dive deeper. Elevating questions, they raise broader issues and highlight the bigger picture. So asking questions, getting to know somebody, letting them in and allowing them to speak and you taking the time to listen. If we do that, you won't get defensive. And if we're not being defensive all the time, then we can move forward. Anger, ad, ad hominem attacks, they do not move us forward. You can't anger your way into successful completion of your projects. Anger is an emotion that can be a servant, but not a master. Let's take this for example. Say you wanted to build a personal computer. You could say, I'm going to anger myself into a personal computer, but will that get it done? Well, no. In order to build a personal computer, you're going to need a case. You're going to need a power supply. You're going to need a CPU. You're going to need a motherboard. You're going to need a chipset. You're going to need RAM. You're going to need storage. And you're going to need a GPU. And then you're going to need assemble of those. You're going to need to assemble them. So that is what will get you a PC, a personal computer. And in order to assemble a motherboard, well, you're going to need to be present. In that moment, assembling the motherboard with focus, with intention. Consider that. Asking questions of individuals you may or may not know. Let them in. Don't get upset. Don't get mad. Don't get triggered. But stop, pause, breathe, and think about somebody who is in front of you. 
another living, breathing human being with hopes and dreams and aspirations. You may not quite understand them, but you can go a longer way to helping move us forward by letting them in and listening and asking questions. We can help each other by initiating, by listening, by clarifying, by asking questions. It's a form of generosity. And you can do this on a daily basis. You can let people in whom you know or whom you don't know. And we can each do our part at moving the conversation forward, at moving our society forward, lowering the temperature, decreasing the amount of cultivation theory, decreasing the amount of defensive reactivity, and increasing the peace, joy, and prosperity of each and every one of us as we contribute our best gifts and talents from the abundance that we've been given. This is Stephen Thompson, and thank you for being a part of my experience. I may know you or I may not, but know this. You are valuable. You are loved. You have talents and gifts and abilities that the world needs. I don't know where you are on your journey, but you know this. You find your gifts. You find your talents, and you use them to help someone. You go out today and put some good into the world. Thank you very much for listening.